Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show on television, digital dish, satellite, smoke signal, whatever it might be, have them go to hotm.tv and they can watch it live streaming video from anywhere in the world. You can also be aware that you can watch any of our archive shows there at hotm.tv going all the way back to 2006. Uh, While I was a born-again Mormon is temporarily out of print, it's still available at many bookstores. Uh, We're working on making the book available online through a downloadable PDF for those of you who are outside of the United States and maybe uh, others. So go to www.bornagainmormon.com for more information about that in the future. It seems like HBO and the LDS Church has had a little tiff over the show Big Love, airing what they have long called their Sacred Temple Ceremony on a recent episode. I think it showed last night. So let's see. Mormonism can state that God told Joseph Smith that all Christian churches were an abomination. And Mormon missionaries tell people of all faiths that their beliefs are not approved by God. And Mormonism told black people up until 1978 that they were not worthy to hold their LDS priesthood. And recently, Mormonism thoroughly trashed fundamental Mormonism and uh, their sacred beliefs. And then, as Sandra Tanner uh, wrote to me recently, Uh, Quote, for years, the movie and TV industry have depicted the Catholic confessional, which is sacred and private to them. Uh, So why are the Mormons so upset about their sacred rights being shown? In the LDS-owned newspaper, Deseret News, an article ran on Friday the 13th where the prophet and president of the church today, Thomas S. Monson, was quoted in explaining what the temple means to the Latter-day Saints. Now, this was a perfect opportunity for President Monson to say, the temple is all about us learning about Jesus, and the temple teaches us to know about Jesus, and the temple helps us draw closer to Jesus. You want to hear what he said? Listen, quote, the temple lifts us. It exalts us. It stands, not Jesus stands, it stands as a beacon for all to see and points us to celestial glory, end quote. 
Ugh. Jennifer wrote about watching an archive show on the internet where I discussed the LDS hymn, I Am a Child of God, and how I stated it was contrary to biblical teachings. Jennifer is a French-speaking woman and said that something in my presentation didn't ring true in her head. She then went to her LDS French songbook, which she had since the 1980s, and read the words, to I am a child of God. Now we've gotten our off-camera French scholar Reed. He's going to read what the 1980s version said in French. Reed, fire away. Dis-moi ce qu'il faut savoir pour te connaître enfin. Exactly. That translated means, tell me all that I must know to know him in finality. That's part of the song, and that's what it translates to, according to Jennifer. Now, she then went to the LDS.org website and looked up the French hymn online, and it's been changed. And to her shock, it read something completely different, and it read something that totally changes the approach to salvation. Reed, will you read that for us? Apprends-moi comment agir pour te connaître enfin. Which translated means... Teach me how I must behave to know him in the end. So again, your behavior, not your faith in him whose behavior makes you acceptable, but your behavior is what makes you worthy in knowing Jesus in the end in the LDS church. This is not the gospel of the New Testament, my friends. Don't be fooled. Remember, Every single group or movement based on the teachings of human beings have had the very same, same end game in mind, and that is to get its followers to behave in specific ways in order to prove themselves worthy before God or to be accepted in their specific order. It doesn't matter if it's a, a, a Third Reich. It doesn't matter if it's a, a Waco, Texas. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's human-based, it's always going to be about your behavior, to exalt yourself, to prepare yourself to become God's. It's another gospel. Run from it, my friends, and into the saving arms of the one, only one worthy of making you right before God, even Jesus Christ. Last week, I had the opportunity to be a guest on Doris Hansen's show, Polygamy, What Love Is This?, right here on TV20. When the phone lines were opened up, a call was waiting, a young man, uh, actually a man my age, who used to live in my hometown in California. He identified himself as Jared Baker, and he proceeded to employ two methods the LDS are taught to use when someone they know has left Mormonism. The first tactic is the ad hominem attack, or the attack the man uh, approach. This is done to place all the onus of a person leaving Mormonism upon the person, and therefore it it leaves the true church unscathed. All right? Jared could hardly hold himself back. He said, Sean, I just want to know what sin you committed to get yourself to this place where you are today. To the LDS mindset, if they can hear that a man or woman has sin in their lives, which they conversely spend an exorbitant amount of time and energy trying to show that they are innocent of, they feel justified in vilifying him or her to alleviate the problem within the organization itself. Now, it has always been very, very important to me and this ministry to openly admit 
myself as an egregious sinner, especially toward the uh, last year years of my LDS experience. But hear me very clearly here, okay? This is so important to understand. It was my sin that led me to see Jesus for who he was. And it was my sin and the recognition of the condition of my heart before God that Mormonism could never change. This allowed me to see Jesus for who he really is and for me to see myself for who I really was and then to discover redemption, forgiveness, peace, and the strength to overcome my sin proclivities in my life. Do you get it? Now, Paul, while ignorant of the real Jesus, he says of himself in 1 Timothy uh, 1, 12 through 16, I think that's going to come up on the screen. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, meaning he did it without knowing Jesus. He goes on in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all exception that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. What Paul is saying is that while he was ignorant of the true Jesus, he was the chief of sinners, but God used this sin in him in two distinct ways. First, so Jesus could show forth his long suffering towards sinners. And second, that Paul's life could be used as a pattern for those who would thereafter come to believe. So where the LDS used the sins of a person who leaves Mormonism to castigate them and deem them horrible people, God uses this condition to his glory if they should come to see who he really is. Praise God, right? Well, that was the first ambush from the caller from Huntington Beach. When he got nowhere with this one, he came up with his second attack and said, is it worth all the money, Sean? This attack stems from the LDS teaching that if a person leaves Mormonism, it is because of their evil weaknesses. But if they leave and then they attack the church, it is for the money. This reasoning is alluded to in their temple ceremony by Satan himself talking to the audience. This accusation comes from a religion where exaltation must be bought with a mandatory minimum of 10% of one's gross income. This accusation comes from one of the most powerful and wealthy organizations in the world. It comes from a religion where its leaders are for the most part wealthy men who, never having enough, sell their books at exorbitant prices in deseret bookstores to those yearning to follow the brethren and now the sistren. And all of this is because this religion was built and based on and founded upon the things of this world, 
on mammon and on the worship of man. I don't even want to dignify Jared's accusation because it goes against my grain, but we have all of us in the ministry personally given everything we have to reach the LDS for the past six years and then some. We've struggled to make ends meet. We don't ask for donations, but we count it all joy and the richest blessings when we receive notice that people actually break free from this controlling religion because, because they have found Jesus Christ. Our books, history, and teachings are open to anybody who ever wants to see them. How about Mormonisms? With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, uh, we pray for your blessings upon uh, our audience. We pray for those who are searching for truth. We uh, pray for those uh, who need help. We pray that I will be able to say what you want me to say clearly and that this message will reach people who are searching to know you through all the uh, deceptions and darkness and controlling manipulations that are in this world today. We pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me dry my mouth out or wet it out. Since the first of the year, We have looked back at Nauvoo after Joseph Smith's death. We've examined the history of Emma Smith, Joseph Smith's first wife, their children, and then looked at a theory of what guided the man the LDS still refer to as the prophet. All of this, we believe, added to pieces of the prophet puzzle, but we're going to leave Joseph Smith behind now. His death initiated a transition of Nauvoo Mormonism to another home, a home far away and completely isolated at the time, Utah. Such isolation allowed its new leader to rule and reign with bloody fists of iron. We mentioned back in January that after some campaigning for the office of prophet, Brigham Young took over as head of the church and began to lead the Mormons to the promised land in the West. In many ways, what was initiated in Nauvoo by Joseph Smith by ways of plural marriage, despotic, violent rule, secrecy, and theocratic domination. This was exacerbated and fully enforced by Brigham Young and those who supported his reign. Understand, Utah was chosen as the place to go well before Brigham or anybody else made one step toward the West. Uh, The story you get as a member makes you believe that they were kind of wandering like the children of Israel to some unknown place. And they they came out to the, the Utah Valley and the Spirit told Brigham that this was the place. But that's just not so. They knew it was going to be the Salt Lake Valley and Brigham took them to it. And when they arrived, his actual words were, this is the right place. Prior to leaving Nauvoo, Brigham Young initiated what would become standard operating procedures in Utah, something known as his theocratic ethics. Part of these ethics included the fact that Mormons considered it okay to steal from non-Mormons. Now understand, I'm not making this stuff up, and I'm not suggesting that it's the general practice of the LDS people today. But what I am saying is this is the soil upon which Mormonism rests today. At the time, eight out of the 14 issues of the Warsaw Signal, the newspaper for the area, was about Mormon stealing or what they called Mormon thievery in the post-Joseph Nauvoo years. Church historian D. Michael Quinn reports in his book, The Mormon Hierarchy, page 637, that Joseph Smith told Porter Rockwell that it was right to steal, meaning from non-Mormons or Gentiles. 
Orson Hyde explained that a saint could, quote, steal and be influenced by the spirit to do it, end quote, so long as the theft was against a non-Mormon. In his personal journal, John Binion recorded that, quote, Orson Hyde said that he would never institute a trial against a brother for stealing from the Gentiles, end quote. But stealing from the Gentiles was just the tip of the uh, gun barrel. Uh, Nauvoo henchmen at the time who served as the police force carried out vicious beatings, intimidating assaults, and even many murders. According to a Nauvoo, police, the, a Nauvoo policeman whose name was Alan Stout's own narrative, these acts were done to avenge the blood of Joseph and Hiram. He wrote, quote, I hope to avenge their blood, but if I do not, I will teach my children to never cease to try to avenge their blood and then teach their children and children's children to the fourth generation as long as there is one descendant of the murderers of Joseph upon the earth, end quote. And Jesus said what about revenge? Hmm. Uh, and Alan Stout had a brother whose name was Hosea, Hosea Stout. And Hosea was the chief of police in Nauvoo and one of Brigham Young's avenging angels. In his personal diary, diary <laughs> I think that was a, a purposeful, in his, in his personal diary, Hosea wrote that he sought, quote, to rid ourselves of traitors who are in our midst and that he preferred the direct approach of, quote, cutting him off behind the ears according to the law of God, end quote. This was a direct reference to the LDS temple instructions on how to take a person's life. I suggest that this spirit continues to reside in the hearts of many LDS men and even women today. It's not by chance that when the U.S. Supreme Court in 1977 ruled that capital punishment was not cruel and unusual, that Utah was the first state in the union to execute someone. Gary Gilmore, they did it by firing squad so as to shed his own blood in order that he himself may atone for his unforgivable sins, which Mormons believe the blood of Jesus could not do. Amazing, huh? Now, these violent actions in Nauvoo were primarily, car primarily carried out by a group of men collectively known as Danites. We have some pictures of some Danites, and we're going to play a little game here. We're going to show you four pictures. Three of them were Mormon Danites. One of them is not. Can you guess? Play at home. Let's show the pictures on the screen. Hmm. Yes. Quiet, audience. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. There we go. Now, um, these guys, let's show them again. I'll tell you their names. This one is Porter Rockwell. Joseph Smith's childhood friend, Joseph Smith promised him that if he never cut his hair, he wouldn't be killed, and he never did. He uh, was known as the avenging angel or angel of death. He killed many men. He was a ruthless killer, and he came out here to Utah and continued on his uh, henchman activities for Brigham Young. The next picture, this is uh, Alan Stout. I can't remember if this is Alan or Hosea. And he was the, uh, either the, one of the policemen in Nauvoo or the actual uh, head of the Nauvoo Police Department. Next one. 
This is Kevin Kennington, and uh, he tried to look as evil as possible, and I think he succeeded. And uh, he's a friend of mine. He's a, he's a, he's a good uh, brother in the Lord, and he loves the Lord greatly. I wish we'd get his face on here smiling. You, you like him a lot better. He's not a Danite. And this was either Hosea. I think this one is Hosea. And uh, he was a bloody butcher as well. Bottom line, these men were ruthless murderers who would and did almost anything Brigham Young told them to do, both in Nauvoo and in Utah. I absolutely believe, and strong as this is to say, that where Cain Christian, uh, christened the fallen world with all its dark principalities and powers by shedding the blood of his own brother, I believe it was by uh, Mormonism christened uh, itself by the same means over and over again over 150 years ago. Porter Rockwell is known to have killed several anti-Mormons. The first known victim was one Frank Worrell, who was one of the jailhouse guards at Carthage when Joseph was killed. According to History of the Church, volume 7, page 446 through 447, Rockwell shot him dead with a bullet to the stomach. And according to LDS uh, author, ex-LDS author D. Michael Quinn's research, he then murdered four more non-Mormon men at Highland Ranch, Illinois, later on the same day. Quinn reports many, many more. There was a guy named McBracken, who after they shot him, they had his throat cut ear to ear. This was temple stuff. Was stabbed through the heart had an ear removed, and was horribly mutilated, it says, in other parts of his body, meaning he was castrated. Other men like Lambert Symes, Phineas Wilcox, and Andrew Dubenheyer disappeared without a trace, and it was well known, well believed, that they were taken and butchered too. When one Irving Hodge was found at Brigham Young's doorstep, stabbed to death four times by Bowie knife, Young said in his Sunday sermon from the pulpit, quote, I don't know nor cared, care who killed him, for if he lived, he would have added sin to sin. There are other men in Nauvoo that I pray God, that I pray God they run against the same snag that Irving Hodge did. And Jesus said, love those that hate you, do good to them that despitefully use, use you, as I have loved you, love one another. To keep order and instill fear in the hearts of anyone who dared cross them, these men flogged, whipped, stoned, and beat people without a single sign of remorse or restraint. But it was the murder of Frank Worrell that sealed the Mormons' fate in Nauvoo and sent them packing off to Utah. Because of the murder of Worrell, the Quincy Signal head headlines read, quote, murder, uh, one of our, murder of one of our best men, to arms, to arms. This was a response to the theocratic ethics, the lawlessness, which, and the continued wars between the saints and those who did persecute them. As a result, Brigham Young wrote a public statement in September of 1845, which read, We propose to leave this county next spring. He continued, listen to this. We will go to a land where there, are, where there are at least no old settlers to quarrel with us. We will leave this wicked nation to themselves, for they have rejected the gospel. And I hope and pray that the wicked will kill one another and save us the trouble of doing it. End quote. This is a direct quote from the journal of LDS prophet Heber C. Kimball. 
Murder, revenge, bloodshed, and violence was at the very heart of the man who settled Utah Mormonism. For Joseph, it was deception. For Brigham, it was murder. The very drive, the mentality, the ideation has not in the end really changed. From the tree falls the fruit. From the fruit falls the seed. From the seed grows a tree, and so on, and so on, and so on. The movement West began in the spring of 1846. We'll pick up here next week and talk about that. I want to open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Please, first-time callers, uh, LDS callers preferably, and be ready. Have your TVs turned down. Be ready with your question when we come on and say you're on the air. While the operators sort of take your calls, and uh, I want to make an observation. Not only was I LDS for 40 years, but I do a lot of traveling in, around, back and forth in Utah. I have lived four days out of every week for the past three years, literally on the streets of Salt Lake, as I don't have a home here. I watch, I listen, and I observe you firsthand. I take notes of your attitudes, your speech patterns, and what you focus on in your conversations. I see and hear and smell the pride of this culture in the fine things that the church has done for you in your life, for your standard of living, for your families. I've listened to countless conversations you have with each other on airplanes. Behind me, to the side of me, to the front of me, all of them. I listen as, the, as your mouths reveal the contents of your hearts. I've made notes on what, you hear, what I see and hear all day long. And I'd like to speak to the women of stalwart Mormonism right now. The more stately, the more accomplished, the more well-dressed and wealthy, the upper echelon LDS women, you know who you are, you wear it on your face. You have fine homes and, and you have scrubbed families. You're well-kept and cared for, proud of your children and grandchildren, and you live your life under the bubble of Mormon culture and material success. The church is everything to you. Now, please understand, I'm not bitter towards you. I actually understand your mindset and your attitude. You see, Mormonism has worked for you, hasn't it? It has made you comfortable, even if it hasn't worked for all your children, but it has made you and, and possibly your husband comfortable and happy, and this is all in the end that really seems to matter. I've heard dozens of you echo the sentiments of your late prophet Gordon B. Hinckley by saying to me, to my face, all I have and all I am I owe to the church. Not to Jesus, but to the church. But do you know what I see when I meet and listen to you? Do you know what you remind me of in your fine homes and your scrubbed appearances and your Mormon modest apparel? You remind me of a mafia wife who purposely lives in denial of the truth about what your husband actually does, or in this case, what your church has stood for in the past. All of you really care about is how it affects you now and your comfortability. So by keeping yourself free from the facts, it allows you to peacefully achieve your own selfish desires. You don't want to know what your husband, in this case the church, has done in order to provide you with this life and culture. You don't want to know the history. That would be too painful, and you couldn't live with that. So you live your life in a semi-state of denial. You shut your eyes and your ears and your heart, and you demand all your family do the same. 
When someone, something unpleasant rears up and forces you to actually see, you look the other way or you think something positive or you click your heels and say, take me away. Why? Fear and selfishness. When someone ugly comes along, someone like me, and mentions to you what your husband does for a living, you cover your ears and scream, it's not true, it's not true, you're a liar. All your life is then challenged, your very existence called into question. But in your heart of hearts, you wonder. I pray that the day will come when the truth will mean more to you than your own creature comforts and protection. We'll come back in 15 seconds and pick up the phone lines. Stay with us. We have Johnny from Tremont on line one. He's already been cleared, but I'm going to read a couple emails. I'll get to you first, Johnny. This is from Joe. He says, I want to be born again and saved, but I don't think this can happen until I leave the religion and forgive, and forgive those who have kept me in it for 35 years. The social pressure, the cultish nature of this church really comes to light once you decide it's time to leave. After years of struggling with my doubts about the church, my wife has finally had her eyes open to the truth. Is there anything that you can... Uh, suggest in helping me overcome the anger and bitterness I have toward this institution and what it's done to our lives. Well, Joe and your, and your dear wife, I just want to uh, tell you to what someone told me. But when I still had the anger and resentment about everything that had deceived me, and that is take it to the Lord. I mean, literally someone told me, it's just like you scoop it up in your hand and you turn and you offer it to God and say, help me with this. Because if I take it in, it's going to, it's going to kill me. You know, and it will. We've seen people like that. And it sometimes comes back to me. You get so incensed. And Joe, the only answer to anything is going to be the Lord and his peace and his, his suffering and his love that will help trans, change your heart, transform your life. So, Joe, my biggest uh, suggestion will be, of course, stay on your knees, make war on the floor, stay in the word of God. Take your wife by the hand and kneel down and pray with her and ask, just ask, please take this bitterness and anger from me for what this, these people have done. I hope that helps you out. We're going to go to Johnny and Tremont, then Charlie, then Ken. Johnny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, okay, let me shut my TV down. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. Hi, you guys had a, a, a last week's episode. I heard you guys were talking about polygamy. Did we? Oh, that was on a different show, but oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, well, you were on a different show. And yeah. the, the town in Utah, Eskdale, was brought up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to wholeheartedly disagree with whoever called in, and I'm going to call flat out call him a liar. Because okay. <laughs> that, 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 dude, man, I have, I got it. I got a really good friend. I got a brother in Christ who is, he's one of my best friends, and his entire family lives out there, and they are, they are so far from polygamy. They got nothing to do with the LDS church. They're strict, I mean, Bible 100%, and the Holy Spirit has fallen on that place so heavily, and in fact, we were having a prayer meeting out there Saturday evening, so I mean, if you'd like to come and, and see what Estelle's all about, you're more than welcome to. I'm sure my friend Anthony wouldn't mind. We, it's always great to have another Christian out praying, so. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I won't be in town, but thank you very much. 
Yeah, so I, I just wanted to set people straight, whoever called in and said that. I mean, that is a flat-out lie. All right, my friend. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Charlie in West Valley City. Charlie's a first-time caller. Charlie, you're on the air. Hey, thank you. Okay, you got to turn that TV down, my friend. Okay, turn it down. Okay. Is this Sean? Yeah, it is. Oh, hi, Sean. Hi. I, uh, I have uh, a question for you and then a statement. Uh, okay. Uh, we just had, of course, a, t a new temple open up down south, and if they don't believe that the Mormon uh, religion is touching people in this world, they had over 3 million visitors in that temple. And also, I'd like to say that I have an associate that uh, we got speaking about it, and he seems, uh, we were talking about the Lord, and he he asked me, uh, he asked me, Charlie, what, uh, what, what events happened in your life that made you dislike Mormons so much? And uh, I tried to explain to him that I don't dislike Mormons, it's their doctrines, and he kept coming back to me with the same thing. You had to have something in your life or an event in your life is making you hate us. And you just couldn't understand it. I don't, I don't understand that. But. Isn't that interesting? That yeah, is very interesting. Yeah. Well, by by uh, looking at you, there has to be something. You know, someone offended you, you've sinned, you, you have a problem, whatever. It can't be just the doctrine. Of course not. Yeah. Course you, not you know, that. I'm not ashamed to admit this, uh, and I know that some of the LDS are going to view this as some sign of, of their victory, but... You know, the three million showing up to the Draper Temple, is that the one you're talking about? Yes. They're showing up and going through that open house, and three million people. We have had events, and other churches have had events, and I don't think, you know, out of uh, 35, 40,000 Christians in the state, they have more than 1,500 people show up. And I, that's a still good representation, but I look for the day when the pastors of this state can come together, all of them, and have an event where we bring in somebody like uh, Franklin Graham or, uh, or, or uh, Greg Laurie or somebody big and they, we all come out, get off our rear ends and come out and praise the Lord and have a revival. You know, the Mormons will flood to a building and walk through it, three million, and we have trouble getting a few hundred at, at, at church events. So I pray, and I hope you'll join me, that we pray for the pastors of the state to come together under one roof and, and have this happen. I'll be there. All Absolutely. right, my friend. Thanks. Can I ask you one more question? One yeah. More question. Uh, the question I had was, is my associate that I know, he, he said that his wife is going to get Temple Endowment. Now, I asked him a question, and he, could, he got mad at me. I asked him if she has endowments, and he is not going to get them because he says he's not going to go to the temple. I said that she goes, if she dies and goes to heaven, is another man able to call her from the grave and be married to her in celestial heaven? Is that? Yeah. That is possible. Yeah. Yeah, they believe that's possible. Now, the Doctrine and Covenants <laughs> teaches that she will be a servant to those who have uh, done everything right here in the celestial kingdom. That's actually what it teaches, and it's very hard on women who live in split marriages where they go and do everything they're supposed to, and it's very hard for them to hear that they're doing all this to become a servant. But that's the actual doctrine. However, culture has begun to talk about that they will have somebody come forward and take them as their celestial bride. So, uh, yes, it's quite possible, and I would remind your friend of that every now and then. Wow, he's so in the dark. I, I pray for him every day, and yeah. I hope we all pray for him. They're brothers and sisters, but, um, and we need to pray for him. All right, Charlie. God bless Thanks. you.
God bless you. Thanks so much. We are going to Carrie in Clearfield. Carrie, first time caller, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Carrie. Is this Sean? This is. Great, I'm going to turn the TV down. Thank you. Uh, you know, I am a first time caller. I've only been watching you for a few weeks. Uh huh. And I came over with my best friend Stacy in the world because we're both kind of ship jumpers. She's ex Mormon, I'm ex. Or she's ex Catholic, I'm ex Mormon. Uh huh. But we both went to Mormon BNH in um, Utah, Mormon seminary and stuff. Here's a few things that I know that I would like to have your colors with and you. Okay. When I first started going to this new non-denominational Christian church in my area, uh -huh. I was actually offended that people asked me, how long did you decide to become Christian? Oh. And then I realized after, I don't know, three or four months, I knew what they meant. My faith before was based on my deeds, my actions, and the teachings of Joseph Smith, which never, ever seemed good enough. They never, of course, were. They aren't. They're right. filthy rags, right? Right. It's thanks to Jesus Christ and his atonement for my sins that I can return to God, and that's just really huge to me. And i got to tell you, I really appreciate your program. Oh, thank you. I'm almost, I had to write this stuff down while I was holding it for you because I'm a little skeptic about calling in because I don't have anybody whispering in my ear what to tell you. <laughs> uh, I know this church is true. I think <laughs> You got to You're doing now. a fine job on your own. Great. Okay. Good. So anyway, um, I just want to tell you, uh, keep it up. This has really reaffirmed to me while I jumped ship a year and a half ago. It's reaffirmed to me that uh, Jesus is my Lord, that he is the one that died on the cross for me. And while I'm a girl that loves Utah, I love Jesus. Oh, praise God. That's awesome. Thanks. And you know what? So does Stacy, and so does Bruce, and so does Dan, and we're here in the Ogden area, and we love Jesus, and our church is growing strong, and I really want to support your ministry, and God bless you, seriously, Thanks because so there's a lot of us. Thanks so much, Carrie. God bless you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Okay, bye-bye. She's very friendly. <laughs> we're going to Adam West Jordan. Adam, first-time caller. You're on Heart of the Matter, Adam. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, uh, the people you were talking about tonight, uh, Joseph Smith or Brigham Young's, uh, the guys that killed ex-Mormons and stuff like that? Yes. Did, did you think that had anything to do with the uh, whole Mountain Meadows massacre deal? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. We're going to get to that. Probably not going to be for a little while, but absolutely, I think he did. And I, I think it was a cover-up, and I think they had a fall guy. And it was just terrible. When we go through that, I mean, the bloodshed in this, in this state under the hand of uh -huh. Brigham Young, yeah, I absolutely do. Yeah, I thought the same thing. So I was just saying your opinion on it. Yeah, that's it, man. What? I said that's it. Thank you so much. Yep, thanks, man. Okay, bye. bye. We're going to Robert in Monticello, first-time caller. Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, Sean. Um... I'm calling. I, I heard some of your comments about Brigham Young and Joseph Smith and Heber C. Campbell, and uh, I agree they are they were tyrants, and uh, they'd make the Taliban seem like choir boys. Um, the questions I have for you, though, is um, it seems like recently the LDS people are um, under Gordon B. Hinckley became a little bit kinder and gentler. Uh huh. Uh, recent uh, polls said that the Utah was the happiest state. 
And then I wanted you to also comment they're on... they're the highest users of Prozac. Yeah, the highest users of Prozac, too. Happy pills. But I, I think there's a lot of good things going on here. I, I think maybe the temple ceremony changed a little, and that helped, helped somewhat. But uh, there is also that, that we were by far the highest with porn. Yeah. So uh, that's just another interesting statistics and as actually the red states too um i have a little bit hard time with um, modern day christianity although i believe that jesus does have it has it have his bride there but um uh-huh. but they were they were almost right there with the lds people so uh-huh. i just like to hear your comments on on those recent polls and and what you uh what have you found in, in Christianity, or what is your belief? Robert, I, uh, I get in trouble when I go down this road, but I completely agree with you. I agree that the church the bo- is still the bride of Christ, and the church is made up of believers, not churches. Thank God, because I think the way the Christian church generally worldwide is, uh, can be quite appalling. I think we've gotten away from teaching the Word, and uh, I think we've turned to uh, tickling ears and entertainment. And uh, so I, I stand with you completely on that. However, uh, the, where I might differ a bit with you is I think the uh, LDS Church is, uh, is a chameleon-like, and they do whatever they need to do to survive, and this, this kinder, friendly version is, is fine. It's very nice to live with now that they're so uh, embracing of everybody else, well, almost everybody else, uh, but they, uh, they haven't changed any of their doctrine. And that's my problem, is that all the doctrines, they still stand by them, completely. They've just changed their attitude on how they're presenting them. And that's what terrifies me about Mormonism, is that now they're putting on this, this face of being Christian, they're able to look like they do the good works of God, and yet their doctrines remain the same, which are anti-Christian. So that's my problem with, uh, with that. And as far as the, the porn and everything else, I believe it's... It's strictly a result of when you have an overbearing, legalistic church that says you must, you must, you must, the fallout is people, they freak out. So uh, that's just my perspective. It's faulty, I'm sure, but that's just how I see it. Did you hang up? Oh, no, I'm, I'm still here. I, I agree that uh, they are chameleon-like. I, I feel comfortable around them. It's not something that's believable. I you know, I was a missionary like yourself, but uh-huh. um, but I am seeing more some more Christian churches that aren't so watered down and a little bit more believable. But I still, you know, if you come out of one thing, it's hard to um, find something that is believable. It is. It's very when, tough when all the Gallup polls and things show that there's no difference between the church and the unchurch. So, oh, gosh, uh, we should sit and delineate those differences. Hey, thanks so much, Robert. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Stacy in Clearfield, first-time caller. Appreciate all the first-time callers. Thank you. Stacy. Stacy. Well, she's a first-time caller. She doesn't know what she's doing. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to Carrie in Provo on line two. Carrie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Carrie? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. Hi, I'm calling. I would like to tell my story real briefly. Okay. Okay, I've been a member for over 40 years. Um, true blue, through and through, dyed in the wool. Oh. Are you okay? 
Oh, I'm not Stacy. That's okay. Just okay. Yeah, you keep going. Okay, and um, anyway, um, along the last ten years or so, as being a member of the church, I started thinking very differently. You know, thinking um, about Christ and His goodness. And in fact, one of the Book of Mormon scriptures mm-hmm. in either twelve twenty-seven actually um, was a big step in what I learned. And in either twelve twenty-seven, it says that if men come unto me, I'll show unto them show unto them their weakness. And it says, I give unto men weaknesses. And, that, and it just dawned on me, it hit me so hard, why would I be so ashamed of having these weaknesses and being afraid to die, which is what the Church teaches us, uh-huh. when it's what Christ gave us. Mm. He gave us weaknesses. And then the rest of the Scripture says that if we come unto Him, that um, His grace is sufficient. Mm. And it was such an eye-opener to me. His grace is sufficient. Amen. And that's all that you need is the that grace is. and the truth of this grace. And as I started to develop my own deep, deep, deep personal testimony of Christ, I tried to teach that in lessons and talks in the church, and I just got really weird reactions. People that would say things like, oh, it would be so nice if we could think that way or be like that. I'm like, you can. And I was so excited about this saturating love from Christ, and and the members just... It was just strange how they couldn't receive it, couldn't understand what I'm saying. And pretty soon, my callings, instead of being teaching and leadership positions, I got put in the nursery. <laughs> and anyway, so That's I... That's what happens. Yeah. What are you doing I now? Uh, nothing. <laughs> are you, nothing. Are, have you ever gone, Carrie, there's a church down there, uh, Christ Evangelical, just stepped in silently in the back and see what that's about? No, I haven't. I would love, love to find a nice church to go to. Christ Evangelical in Provo Orem area. I, okay. I, did, I know the path, and I realize I can be an experience for you, but just test it and see how they respond to Christ. Okay. All right. And you know what? I believe, Carrie, that you are a living example of a Mormon who is born again. I believe, listening to you and the words and way you express it, that you're a born-again Mormon. And I believe the Lord has led you to this place that your brothers and sisters in that church do not see because it doesn't get to them. Absolutely. I I see many, many ways that the Lord led me that I got here through His grace. Praise God. Thank you so much for calling. I was just hoping maybe Lynette from last week, could, if she's listening again, that she could understand because she didn't seem to catch what you were trying to say, that once you get away from the bondage of what they're saying. They say come unto Christ, but then they keep you from Christ. They keep you scared of Christ. It's, a, it's the greatest call we've had in years. Thank you so much, Gary. Thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Some of you may want be wondering, well, Carrie said that it was a passage in the Book of Mormon that led her to do this, and, and I completely believe that, and let me tell you why. It's not that I believe the Book of Mormon is, is inspired or that it came from uh, real plates or anything, but Joseph Smith, when he started out, he came from a Christian background. He used the Bible as, as the thing that kind of helped frame the Book of Mormon. And it is, it is, except for a few certain doctrines, it's pretty much like a Christian book. It just gives it in a setting that is fictitious, and he portrays it off as being real. But it quotes the Bible through and through, and it talks about Jesus, and it gives a lot of passages like that, which can, of course, if taken by themselves, open somebody up. To me, that's God's ability to take even the lies of men and bring people to truth through, through whatever, he want, how, whatever means he wants. So when we say that, I believe that that could happen. The Bible, I think, will take you there much quicker and get you right there, and we can throw that other book right away. 
but I believe that it's possible. And so that's what Carrie experienced and that's, that's how I'm explaining it for you. Let's go to Nate in Salt Lake City, first time caller. Nate, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, is this Sean? This is, is this Nate? Hey, this is Nate. Hey, I just wanted to say uh, I've been watching your show for a month and I love it. I agree with everything you talk about. Thanks, and, Nate. Uh, I think that's uh, really cool that uh, you're raising all these questions. I was raised Southern Baptist and now live in Utah. So uh, I think uh, the, the LDS Church and Southern Baptist are kind of similar. And, yeah. uh, but uh, my question is, I want to know if you've ever read the book of Enoch, what you think about it, and uh, why it wasn't put in the Bible. Yeah, I haven't read it. I've read uh, uh, descriptions of it. And uh, bottom line, there wasn't enough in there to correlate with the rest of the apostolic writings and, uh, and the rest of the Bible, Old Testament. And so they just, they just felt it didn't fit across the board with everything else, and so they didn't include it. Uh, you may differ with that. Uh, there may be very good things in the Book of Enoch, but uh, I, I haven't read the book myself, so I can't comment too well on it. I, would that go along with uh, the verse in the Bible that says, don't take away or add? To the, to the Bible. You know, that's a, really good, that's a really good question you're bringing up. I'm going to get some people who disagree with me here, but I would not use that verse to talk about taking away or adding to the Bible. And let me tell you why. The okay. book of Revelation is a singular revelation that John received on the Isle of Patmos, actually recorded it after he left Patmos. And when he says, do not add or take away from this revelation, he's talking about the book of Revelation. Now you would say, well, it's the last book of the Bible. But it's quite possible that it was placed there by the people who compiled the Bible. Now the argument is, were the people who compiled the Bible gathered, were they inspired by God? I think it's possible, but I'm not sure. And so when you use that with somebody like a Latter-day Saint, you can't have the Book of Mormon. Look what it says here in Revelation. They're going to quickly give you a history and show you that's just a fallible argument. Here's another reason why. In the Book of Deuteronomy, it says the same thing. So if that were true... we Baptists do. Do they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They get really defensive. And... Yeah. So, uh, but, but I, what I would say to you in defense of the Bible being complete, especially the New Testament now, the Old Testament is definitely complete, but the New Testament is, Jesus called apostles and they were special witnesses who actually saw him and talked with him and knew him. And then the Holy Spirit came and they were in charge to write. When the apostolic age ends in this special period where Jesus used them as first-hand witnesses inspired by the Holy Spirit to write, when they died off, we had now his written word and we don't need more. So I would use that as the argument as point. to why we don't add to the Bible. Good point. All right. Okay, thank you so much. I love your show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Mark and Draper. Nope. Uh, line four. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Oh, good. Hey, um, I just a uh, couple of quick comments. Um, the first comment was on the validity of the, uh, the Book of Mormon. Uh -huh. And um, from what I understand, the Book of Mormon is called, uh, it's, it's referred to as another testament of Jesus Christ. Is yeah. that correct? Yeah. Okay, well, I looked up the word testament, and, uh, uh, and where that's translated from, it always comes up as, as covenant or will of God. And in the Bible... It says, where a testament is, there also must be the necessity of necessity be the death of the testator. And the death of the testator in, 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 is Jesus, who, who brought the New Testament, uh, who brought the New Testament into force. Okay. 
And so if we're, if we're to say that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ, it actually negates itself because a will, you can only have one will per death. If you, if you create a will or a testament, you only have one will, and when you die, oh. it becomes enforced. And after you die, you can't create another will oh. and say that this is another will. Never thought of it that way. It's excellent. I yeah. love that. And then the second comment I wanted to make is that um, I kind of live near the Draper Temple, and it's, there's just been such a huge influx of people going through there, and it saddens me so much for people not to realize that the whole reason, you know, the reason Jesus died on the cross was so that our sins could be forgiven so that we could receive the Holy Ghost and we could actually become the temples of God on earth. Amen. So there's no need for a... Uh, temple made with hands. We we have a and and the temple in the Old Testament completely represented Jesus Christ being the temple of God. It says the Word was made flesh, and that word dwelt means tabernacle. He was tabernacled among us. That's right. So he he was the temple of God. He and certainly was. We are today. So those are just two comments I wanted to make. Hey, and those are two excellent comments. Really appreciate it. You add to the to the archives in the library. People all over the world hear these thoughts you guys have and they take them and then you're spreading that out and they can learn from you. So I really appreciate you taking the time. All right, thank you. Sure. Thank you, bye-bye. All, right. All right, we are going to uh, Bradford in West Jordan, first time caller. Bradford, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, yeah, how's it going, Sean? Hey, yeah, doing all right, Bradford, how are you? I'm doing good, I just wanted to uh, quote a couple of scriptures real fast about uh, uh, LDS doctrine and you know their belief that they'll be married in heaven. Okay. And uh, in Matthew twenty two twenty nine through about 30, it says, uh, You are in error because you do not know the Scripture or the power of God. And it says, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Right. They'll, be they'll be like the angels in heaven. That's right. And, you know, Jesus said that, so, you know, that's valid. You know that one. And then uh, on another subject, Paul said, and he was so in tune with, uh, God, that. Are you there? Yes, in Galatians 1, um, 7, it says, which is really no gospel at all. Um, and on to 8, it says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Absolutely. It's another great verse. I, uh, I brought up some good stuff, Bradford. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm hoping, you know, that... LDS is watching, and they can go challenge themselves to go look that up in the, the only true book. All right, man. Love your heart, Bradford. Yeah, you have a good night. Thanks. Okay, God thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, we're going to Teresa and Tawilla. Uh, First-time caller, Teresa, you're in Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Teresa. Hi. Hi. Is this Sean? This is. Hi, Sean. This is Teresa. Um, I was going to ask you about the... Um, scripture that says that Jews would have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites would have the words of the Jews, or how, or vice versa, however it went. Mm, I'm not, I can't recall that. It's in the Book yeah. of Mormon, where the Jews would have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites would have the words of the Jews. Okay. And, um, so I'm wondering, uh, I'm married to a Native American, Lamanite. Uh-huh. That's exactly what he calls himself. Oh. He was raised Episcopalian. Uh-huh. And there's, so he did not know the Book of Mormon, you know, because he was raised in the 
Episcopalian yeah. church. Yeah. But she knows every word that's in that Book of Mormon. Oh, so you're, how does he know every word in the Book of Mormon? He knows. He knows who they are. One day I said, who's the great spirit? He told me word for word. <laughs> he knows the people. I'd like to have there. him on the show. He passed away. Oh. Just well, a few months ago. I'm sorry to hear and that. And he's a Lamanite, and he... Uh, so you're telling me you believe in the Book of Mormon because of this evidence? Oh, yeah. Well, he more or less converted me, I guess, because he... They have that. They have that in it. They have Now, that. I have Indian friends. I'm a quarter Indian, and I don't know the Book of Mormon by heart. I know well, other I know other Lamanites. You're only a quarter. He's full. He's full. I, I know full Lamanites. He knows who, his whole language. I know f full Lamanites who don't know the Book of Mormon. Oh, I'm sure there's a few of them, but I'm sure there's more than a few. Well, it, that's. It's interesting how you were persuaded to join the Mormon Church. That's an interesting story. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Now, bye bye. Uh, sorry, I was just not. Uh, we're going to Gary West Jordan, first time caller. Gary, you got one minute, my friend. Okay. You're on the air. Hello. You're on the air, Gary. Okay. Uh, I'd like to know about it, if you think the day nights are still alive and well. You know, I don't. I think uh, I think the Danites have put down their their guns and their knives, and they've picked up fountain pens and briefcases. Okay. Thank you. All right, man. You take care. Bye bye. Listen, a quick, uh, quick email. Oh, I had a really good one here. Oh, let's uh, see if I can finish the show with this. Uh, recently from Wesley says that he left the LDS church. The tipping point was that they don't believe God loves us unconditionally. He says that from the Ensign magazine, Apostle Russell M. Nelson's Divine Love, Ensign February 2003 reads, Divine love is conditional. While divine love can be called perfect, infinite, enduring, and universal, it cannot correctly be characterized as unconditional. The word does not appear in the scriptures. On the other hand, many verses affirm that the higher levels of love the Father and the Son feel for each of us are conditional. So what he's trying to say here is that God loves you. He, he loves you less when you fail to maybe obey the Sabbath, the Mormon Sabbath. And he loves you more if you obey it really, really well. Do you see the burden that that would put people under? This is their apostle teaching that God's love is not conditional. And uh, I can't imagine a more enslaving doctrine. Uh, it says here, the full flower of divine love and our greatest blessings from that love are conditional predicted upon our obedience to eternal law. Uh, what a sickening heresy. I want you to know that Christians know that God's love is unconditional. And, and in that love, he sent his son perfect to die for you. And you can trust in that completely. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. I'm going to pray. I'm gonna break my, I'm gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. 
gonna break my rusty cage. 